Hello, folks. This is the most sound effect intensive podcast I've ever attempted to do. I put a lot of work in it. So if you have any unconstructive criticism, you can and take that and put it where the doesn't shine. You got that? You Okay, I'm glad we're clear. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is when you listen to this. My name's James Cyrus. Joining me is Chrissy Harding. Hi, everyone. And welcome once again to Gaming Street Irregulars. And if you haven't noticed from the uh, censorship-laden introduction, we're talking sounds in gaming today. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the vocabulary of video game audio. The purposes it attempts to accomplish, and how it succeeds, or in some cases fails, to do so. Yeah, sound is extremely important in video games. They give us the hints of what to do next. They are the warning of major battle coming up. Or they could just be as annoying as hell. Basically. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get into it in just a brief moment. So we will see you on the other side of this break. is video game audio needs to communicate the ideas a game is presenting as effectively as the visuals do by drawing your attention to key events on the screen and reinforcing the positive and negative outcomes of gameplay two of the earlier arcade games i found that are brilliant at doing this are galaga and mr do Mm -hmm. galaga we're gonna start with first because as a shooter From a fixed perspective, with no major moving background elements to speak of, the audio becomes a major part of signaling what your enemies are doing. Because it's easy to occasionally lose track of one or two against that stark black background and the sheer numbers of them. For all those you have rage quick Galaga, we do feel your your pain. So when you hear this sound effect... You know, a dive bomb is coming in. Mm-hmm. Or this. That means one of the one of the enemies is about to morph into a trio of special targets that'll be worth some bonus points if you hit them. And of course, if you hear this. That's the enemy hypnobeam, which you either want to avoid or wind up going into, depending on what your strategy is. But, you know, learning and relying on those sound effects to act as your cues for what to move away from and what to shoot at is a very key part 
of the gameplay in a fixed shooter like Galaga. Yeah, because the thing is, is that you don't get the... being a very earlier game, they didn't really have the complex sound cards that we have now that give you music, cueing music and and everything like that. So those sound effects both had to stand out and they also had to um, draw your attention to it. But not only just the sound in the game itself, but also the game in the arcade. They also wanted those sounds to be as jarring and as loud as possible to draw your attention to their cabinet, which means you would Walk up, you'd hear it, walk up, see someone playing it, and then you'd want to play it. So they also had to make them enticing as well. Naturally. And, you know, to that end, a game like Sinistar, which you uh, reminded me of this morning, Chrissy, when I was compiling all my sounds and wind up having the space to put it on my soundboard. Just the sound of Sinistar, the name Sinistar, like that literally was above all the other sounds in an arcade. You heard that and you knew there was a Sinistar machine there. I am Sinistar. And if you were like me, it freaked you out. Or if you were like other people who I know, you ran right to that machine because you knew that you were going to definitely get $25 or 25 cents worth, $25 probably more accurate, of gameplay out of it. $25 might be more accurate in that sense because that's how much you'd end up spending playing this game. (laughs) Yeah. And, and after all, when this game threw in sounds like I hunger, and also like you know, digitized speech clips that were actually fairly audible for that time period, that got your attention. Mm-hmm. But turning back to Galaga, it was sparse on musical cues, but there were was one in particular that had two variations that worked to communicate something. So when your ship gets caught in the hypnobeam, you hear this. And that somewhat minor key little tune is there to indicate to you things just got harder for you because you just lost one of your ships, not only losing the life, but now it's become one of your enemies. But if you successfully shoot down the flagship that, that hypnotized it without killing your own ship you hear this you'll notice that sounds a little happier it's in a major key instead of the minor key of the previous one now mm-hmm. i know it's a minute difference but you know people with musical backgrounds like christy and i can pick it up yeah and it's a key because if you listen to the two of them really back to back, you do notice the difference. And it does like when you when they play stuff in minor keys, it is a little bit more sadder. It's definitely an indication of a loss. That's why when they write sadder scenario um, arias or sadder music, it's always in the lower key where the um, the major key, the minor key, where with the major key is more upbeat, it's more happy. So it's a nice indication you start to get that feeling of, oh my god, I just lost a ship. But then when you get the ship back, it's like, yay, I got my ship back. Victory! Not that it ever happened to me. Ever. Mm. Now as far as reinforcing the loop of a gameplay, Mr. Do is one of the purest examples I can think of. I love now, Mr. Do. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with this uh, moderate arcade hit, it's basically what you would get if you 
took elements of Pac-Man and Dig Dug and smushed them together in roughly equal parts. Basically, you're playing as a clown trying to collect cherries from an orchard while avoiding these uh, weird red dinosaur-like things. Yeah. Did we ever? Did they ever actually say what they were in Mr. Do? Or did they just leave them as the red dinosaur thingies? For the life of me, I can't remember. I, I know I wrote about this for the Patreon blog for Flower City Comic Con. More on that at the tail end of the show. Yeah. And I know in the second game, Mr. Deuce Castle, they grew horns and were called unicorns. But I can't those, remember. I, I'm calling bullshit on that. They, those are not unicorns. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a long story there. Because that originally I, wasn't supposed to be a Mr. Do game. But that's one tangent. There. <laughs> Think. But anyhow, to reinforce collecting the cherries in each bunch all at once... The game would play, for each cherry collected, a note in one of the first concepts you learn when you're picking up an instrument or learning how to seriously sing. A major mm-hmm. scale. In this case, a C major scale. Now, that's generally a pretty pleasing sound. You know, Victory! You, you, you hear the, the notes rising, a little bit of tension building. When it gets to that last high C note, the tension releases. But if you collect them out of sequence, you know, you get the first few notes of the scale. And then if you have to stop for whatever reason, the scale restarts. You know, the tension does not release. And you also don't get the bonus for collecting all eight at once. Oh, yeah. And Dig Dug made much more extensive use of music than a lot of games did at the time to to signal uh, what was going on in the game. Normally, when you're playing, you're... You hear the traditional French can-can music, which was public domain, so Universal didn't have to uh, pay anything. But when an alpha monster came out from the top of the screen, this, this creature was tied to one of the mechanics that got you extra lives, and the game wanted to alert you to its presence. So the music would switch to this. And it also makes you want to move faster, too, because you only have a limited amount of time to beat that monster to get those extra lives, too. Because it, it makes you want... because, And that's the wonderful thing about how the sounds in Mr. Do work is the different sounds alert you of, this is when... Okay, you're good right now. This is... And now you need to haul butt. <laughs> like... <laughs> It gives you that feeling, and you were just about to tell players what you needed to do to get those extra lives. Yep, you have to uh, defeat five of those alpha monsters, one for each letter of the word extra. Mm-hmm. And what letter came out was randomized, so you might not you might wind up with some duplicates in there, which don't carry over to your next attempt either. Nope. And there's another way to get the coax the alpha monster out of its little hidey hole. It's by collecting the little treat at the center of the stage after all the monsters have emerged from it. And when you do that, that triggers a separate music cue. And that sound means not only is the alpha monster lurking about, but it's being accompanied by a bunch of big mouth baddies who are going to uh, devour the apples 
if you try to crush them with them. <gasps> curse them. Yeah, curse them. Curse them. But uh, you also brought up uh, Space Invaders as a good example of uh, games using audio cues to clue players into what's going on and reinforce mechanics. Yeah, uh, especially with some of the sounds, especially as the Space Invaders get quicker, you start having, you know, the marching sound get faster and faster. The sound of the missiles um, shot, so you knew exactly what kind of you knew exactly what kind of weapon you had. Uh, when that little saucer shows up and you're trying to hit it to get your extra life, which I never was able to do. I know people who got it every time, but I couldn't. Uh, when you picked up that point, like those different sounds let you know if you gained a power up or if you were about to die. Pretty much. And also what's interesting is um, it was revolutionary at the time because it actually had a, a significant impact in the development of game music, interestingly enough. Because it actually started to try to not only mix in the music to get your attention, but also making it, per the sounds in there, each sound had a purpose. Um, each sound added to the gameplay, it added to the tension. Um, and that was something that, for a very simplistic soundboard, really hadn't been done to the degree it was at the time. And one of the three aspects um, video game scholar Andrew uh, Sharpman identified as the three aspects that made it so important. Uh, the first one is video game music prior to Space Invaders was you know, was actually restricted at the time to extremities. The short introductory theme with the game over Sahana part. You know, the alien, you know, the music in here was was consistent. It was a well-known four-note loop that played throughout the whole game on top of the actual sound effects. So you'd have the music playing in the background, just four notes, and then you'd have the sound effects on top of it. So it was a layering of sound to really immerse you into the game. The music interacted with the on-screen animations, uh, which helped influence your emotions. While you had that music in the background, as they started putting sound effects and speeding certain things up, you you started to get the feeling like, oh my god, I'm going to lose my base. Or, oh my god, I got the bonus base. Like, it got you into the game. And also, it gave the idea of variability. The idea that the music can can change. It usually most most games just had the note. The music just stay constant in the background. Where with Space Invaders, the musics and the sound changed on what was happening on screen. So if the invaders were getting closer to you, the music would speed up. If the invaders were further out, the music would slow down. And it interact and it the layering of of that variability with the sound effects created a very in-depth and you know kind of an immersive experience for the time. I mean, nowadays we look at it if we you know kids today would play Space Invaders, be like, "Wow, this is primitive." But for us at the time, I remember getting my heart rate up trying not to die, and I a lot of it. that and a lot of that was the music. So, and it just makes Space Invaders such a classic game. If you think about it, like it in inspired Galaga, it's kind of how a Galaga approaches music and sound. Because I right. think this came out before Galaga did. Yeah, yeah, a few years. 
Yeah. So when Space Invaders did their thing of not only layering the sound effects with the music, but also making it so everything interacted with each other, it really gave rise to a lot of the different games we're talking about now. Now let's move ahead a few years and talk about Indeed. Super Mario Brothers. Ah, uh, yeah, that game is still <laughs> held up to this very day as one of the cleanest, most effective introductions to the concepts of video gaming in general, and its soundscape mm-hmm. is no different. Nearly every sound effect mm-hmm. serves it well in terms of reinforcing in-game actions. For instance, the coin sound effect—it's generally pleasing, reinforcing collecting these items. The one-up sound effect is even more so, telling you that this is absolutely a good thing to grab. Picking Mm -hmm. up a super mushroom or fire flower triggers this sound, which is triumphant and empowering, exactly how grabbing a power-up should feel. And when you lose a life, you hear one of the most blatantly obvious digital oops sound effects. Done. You know, when you go through the, but also like the warp pipe sound, you feel tra- like when you go down the warp pipe, you sound like you're traveling to, you know, it's like it, there's so much motion with the sound effect. The, or how about the, um, which is, it's the, it's in the most, anno- one of the most annoying sounds you can hear because you hate it every time it comes on, but it's useful because it tells you to move your butt is the time is running out in Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. And just the Mario Brothers theme song alone, like, I still use it for my, like, hold music. Like, if I'm walking or if somebody's asking me a question, I'm trying to find something, I'll actually start going, do 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 They all look at me. I'm like, you have your hold music, I have mine. Yeah, the music in Super Mario Brothers very much works to convey mood, especially that overworld theme, which is generally pleasant and bouncy. And then you contrast that to the underground music, which builds tension a little bit more with its frequent use of empty space Mm -hmm. and even the underground like when you go into the underground like the music itself if you really pause and listen to it also has it it does it's not echoed so it's not echoed but it gives that feeling of an echo Mm -hmm. you know the dungeon music oh my god yeah, I was just about to mention that. That's considerably more foreboding that those long sustained bass notes mm-hmm. and the and the yeah, exactly. Oh the my triplets god. Of, uh, of of the repetitive notes on top of that. That's a very quick shorthand to let gamers know things are getting dangerous. Or the fireball sound that you hear before you see Bowser try to burn you. Like, you're not even to the bridge yet, and you can already hear the fireball coming. Which was which is your only clue that this is coming towards you, because it only makes the sound once he spits it out. After that, you do not hear that sound again. And it's just so amazingly well put together. And they did all that within the same total cartridge space confines as... NES baseball or NES pinball. Pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And they actually the the technique that they used for for 
the way it is, it's called Mickey Mousing, which means it's a direct comment on the action happening on the screen, such as the iconic jump sound that we all know and love. And as you're going higher, the actual, if you really listen to it, the pitch gets higher. So as you're jumping and you're going up the arc of the jump, the pitch of the sound of the jump gets higher, which gives you the idea of jumping. And they actually even have music. Like you can actually get sheet music for the Mario Brothers sound effects. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen people play it on piano. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and once again, um, anyone who's really interested in the idea of sound in video games, I definitely recommend reading um, any of Andrew um, Sharpman's work because he goes really deep into the impact of music and sound on video games. The other cool thing is the sound effects in the Mario games don't really change all that. The basic sound effects don't really change all that much as you go through the different games. The coin sound is still the coin sound. The power-up sound is still the power-up sound. The jumping sound is still the jumping sound. They don't really change all that much. They might sound a little smoother, but they're still the same. So... Those are the principles upon which good sound and gaming rely on, in addition to being mostly pleasing to the ear. Inform mm-hmm. the player, and reinforce the game's mechanics. So now, let's talk about some instances where sounds just don't work. Ugh. Mind you, these are subjective takes. Your mileage will almost certainly vary. But the first instance I want to bring up is where a sound just fails to sound like what it's supposed to represent. And the example I came up with was the bomb explosion sound effect in Super Mario Brothers 2. Oh my god, that was always so jarring. Yeah, that is not a bomb. Uh, that's an awkward ketchup squirt. Pretty much. That is you beating on the Heinz 57 bottle to get ketchup out and it is not coming out. And then when you just like look at it as you're doing it and it squirts at you. Like, mm. that is that sound. Come on. Come on, Nintendo. You could do better than that. <laughs> Yeah, Not Nintendo definitely had a library of better sounds they could have used when converting this to the standard three sound channels on the NES mm-hmm. from the four sound channels that the Famicom Disk System used. And, you know, the Famicom Disk System was where this game originally appeared as Doki Doki Panic. Oh, now, yeah, that's right, because it was a different name, game on that. Right. And, you know, they recycled the sound of the Wizrobe spells for Birdo's Egg Attacks. They could have used, like, the fireworks sound from the original Super Mario Brothers. They could have used all types of things. Yeah. My God. Like, um, oh, and pulling up, and in this game, pulling up the vegetables to use as weapons. Like, that, that doesn't sound right. Like, no. No, no. But credit where credit is due. They did get some sounds right. The rocket taking off sounds great. That does sound like a rocket. Or close to it as you can in a pixel thing. Yeah, I mean, it's there's sounds that we all have heard the complaint when people play games. They're like, that doesn't sound like that. That is when a sound effect did not go off. Now, of course, when you're dealing with something like the Atari 2600, mm-hmm. you're kind of limited with what you can do. True. But by the rise but- of the later day 8-bit systems like the NES and the Master System, there wasn't as much of an excuse. Yeah, you have no excuse at that point, people. You had enough time to get your game on. 
I mean, there's even some sam- examples of it in some games nowadays. Oh, I'm trying to remember the one. It's one of the newer games where it's the kill sound effect. I think it's in one of the Assassin's Creed games where if you stab someone, it doesn't sound like you're stabbing the person. It really, it sounds, it's like such a weird sound and you're like, that's not right. Like, even if you never stabbed someone before in your life, like, and both seen it on TV, you're like, that, no. Mm. It's almost like they wanted to make it like, look, we, you stabbed a person. Like, we're just going to put a sound on it that sounds completely odd to jar you. And it's like, you've succeeded. Oh, I guess, they, I guess they didn't ask Christopher Lee. Apparently, no, they never did ask Christopher Lee. And he knew what it, was, what it sounded like to stab a man to death. Yeah. Christopher Lee played- was more metal than most metal bands. Listen, at the age of 90, he, he did a, a heavy metal album about the life of Emperor Constantine. How much more metal could you get? <laughs> Long well, I'll tell you what's Lee. the opposite of metal. My next mm-hmm. bad sound effect example. Oh, which one's that one? Now, this is in general a good piece of music, but it doesn't convey the idea. Now, this is from the game City Connection from Jalico, which was an arcade game that took uh, ideas from Mappy and 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 mashed up with a little bit of Pac-Man in which you're driving this little uh, hatchback car and trying to paint all the roads a certain color while dodging the police. And also a cat that randomly pops up on the road. Now, if you hit this cat... You hear the, you lose a life, and you hear this. No. Now, does that sound like you made a mistake? It doesn't. It that just no. It just doesn't work. Like it's like you died. It sounds more like the goofy underscore to when Bugs Bunny is dealing with a couple of hillbillies. Oh my God! Yes, that is the that is the that is actually a very accurate statement of what that sounds like. Oh my now, God! Yeah. Now, granted, there are people who disagree with this take. I've seen and read it before, but you know, this is just my opinion, and I just I I just don't see it. Listen, you're hitting a cat. I expect something more depressing than that, which tells me one of two things. A, because you lose a life for hitting the cat, the people who developed this game were cat lovers, but the people who developed the music to the game were not cat lovers because they made it sound so flippin' happy. (laughs) Basically. It's like, okay, we really love cats, so if you hit the cat, you die. And then like the music guys are like, you hit the cat? Victory! Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I really think that's what happened. Like, one half is like, we love cats. The other half is like, screw them. <laughs> Which probably the cats will love the people who said screw them because they're the most, you know, they're loving creatures, but they also are probably the most, like, apathetical creatures you'll ever meet, too. Like, I love you, now feed me. Yep, basically. Then after that, it's like, I'm done with you. Unless you got catnip, then they love you for life. I get Jerry's cat high. But objectively, I- the worst sound effect I've ever encountered in a game is one that had no reason to ever be there. 
Now, this this is like the only time I can think of that this ever happened. So I'm going to set up a scenario for you, Chrissy. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Imagine you're seven years old and you rented mm-hmm. this radical looking game from Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. You're playing it in the living room when you're called mm-hmm. to dinner in the dining room right next to the living room. Mm-hmm. You hit pause and you hear this. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, God. Our council would have been lost. Our council would have been lost to the street at that point. My mother would have thrown it out the house. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's Battletoads, isn't it? It's the Battletoads pause music. Someone, someone explain to me why you needed to have pause music. You don't need pause music. If I'm pausing the game, I'm going to go do something else. Like, I'm eating dinner. My parents don't need to know. I pause the game. <laughs> yeah, they need silence. When unfolding that scenario, if you did not imagine the cold, glaring stares of disapproving parents... When that was playing, you've never been a kid. Oh my god, I wish my mom was home. I would have her listen to this and be like, Mom, imagine hearing this during dinner. I'm sure she would have had a few colorful words to say. <laughs> Literally, it's bad enough in my house that my that sometimes the TV's on during dinner and it's always my mom will have like SVU or uh, Chicago Fire or um, Miami Vice. No, not Miami Vice, Hawaii Five-0. So you and it's always the gun battle scenes that suddenly are on as soon as we sit down to dinner. And I look at her and I'm like, do you want me to go turn the TV off? She's like, yes, please go turn the TV off. But yeah, that being heard as you sit down for dinner and someone starts to ask you about day and you hear like that, like rejected electronic dance music coming out of your TV set. <laughs> My counsel would have been in the street and my mother would be like, hit it. Just back it up over it. Like, she would have been pissed. <laughs> she would have been like, turn it off now. And of course, and justifiably so. And justifiably so. Even though with Battletoads, we all know how hard Battletoads was. Although watching a six-year-old beat the freaking uh, turbo tunnel, I'm just like, I'm done. Yeah, I did actually see a video of a six-year-old girl playing the, and beating the turbo tunnel as her dad is sitting there in shock. I'm jealous. I So am I. I was like, dang, the six-year-old can beat it. I'm not sure how many tries it took her, but even still, six and beats the turbo tunnel. That kid, that kid needs to be in, it needs to be in uh the video game hall of fame just for that alone basically yeah so but this concept of annoying sounds poses a question can annoying sound effect be useful to a game's mechanics well to that end i posit this notorious bit of 16-bit voice sampling from super mario world 2 yoshi's island (laughs) yep now, I'll actually edit in the, the real thing. So you guys can compare. Yeah. <laughs> yes, whenever you've lost Baby Mario and you can't complete the stage without Baby Mario, Baby Mario will start crying. 
Now, why do babies cry in real life? It's to warn you that they have something that needs taken care of. They're hungry. They need changing. They're scared. Or anything like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a sound that you don't want to hear any more than is necessary. So you go to the baby's aid and solve its problem and calm it Mm -hmm. down. Exactly. That's honestly what the game is trying to tell you here, too. When baby Mario's no longer in the saddle of Yoshi, it's in danger of being snatched up by Kamek. And it does not want to be snatched up by Kamek. Hence, you trying to get it back to its home. And, you know, and that's that's one of the nice... Th- and I actually will say there's a later game. Uh, it's Mario and Luigi Partners in Time, where you actually play Mario and Luigi partnered up with baby Mario and baby Luigi. Right. And it's almost like Nintendo understood like how annoying having the babies cry in the game is. But what's cool in the game is to beat the final boss, you know, you beat him down and then it's the babies crying that actually destroys the final boss because the final boss gets so distracted by them crying and keeps yelling at you to shut them up <laughs> that nice. you get the final hit in. And I thought that was great. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> Now, was that the second one of those games? Yeah, it was okay. the first one. Yeah, the first one was um, Super Bean Saga. And it was Partners in Partners in Time. Then it was Bowser's Inside Story. And that's the one where Fothel was the end boss. Yes. I have Fury! Fury! Yeah, he shows up, but he shows up in, in uh, Partners in Partners in Time too. He is a shop owner. Right. Selling beans. Um, which then plays into inside in the inside story. And then I think it's, um, Oh, what one is it? It's um, the dream one. And then a paper jam paper cut. Yeah. And, and the series has come to a close. I don't, I don't think it's totally done yet. Cause they, they take a long time between games anyways. Right. But um, the studio that made them is uh, to my knowledge, no more. Yeah, but the developers from that studio went to another studio, so I think, and that's a studio that works with Nintendo, so it's a possibility to pick back up again. Those games were just fun, especially with the localizations that they used to do. Mm -hmm. It was just a fun, fun game. Those were fun games. I loved playing those games on my DS, and I still, I have all of them. And they actually started to re-release them back out again with more enhanced versions. Um, I know, like, Superstar Saga was re-released, and Bowser's Inside Story was. They kind of skipped Partners in Time, but I kind of understand why they did that one, because there wasn't... Because what they would do is they would have the main game be redone, and then they'd had a second game, which was what was happening on Bowser's side of the story. Right. Well, in Partners in Time, there was no real Bowser side of the story. It was the aliens. So, um, no, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. It's just a, that's a fun game series. And that is a good game series that uses sound and music to its advantage. Back to the subject of annoying sounds that actually serve a useful purpose. The other two that came to me are the repeating beeps when Link is low in life in the Zelda games. Oh, my God. I want to kill those. I'm like, yes, I get it. I'm dying. Leave me alone. <laughs> I understand. And, One more hit will kill me. Yep. And this little ditty that plays when Sonic the Hedgehog is spending more time underwater than he has oxygen for. 
enough to get that sound there actually gets your heart going like you're just like oh my god i gotta save sonic like yeah in lego dimensions there's a point where sonic's about to go into a watery area and he has pstd flashbacks of of those instances with that music playing oh my god i can totally see that poor sonic poor sonic now i had just one last thing else to discuss and that's that games should be trying to be more accessible as these years go on. And we have the technology to do things with controllers and the like, so that people who are differently abled in terms of hearing can still enjoy the games and pick up signals that normally would be used by sound. So thank goodness for haptic feedback. Oh, yes. That that is an awesome awesome that was an awesome feature that they came up with. I Otherwise known that, as a rumble function. The rumble function, in case you guys don't didn't know that. The rumble function who started the rumble function? I know it was a Nintendo, I believe. I don't know if it was Nintendo or not, but I know they popularized it with uh, with some of their N sixty four games, particularly Star Fox sixty four. Yeah. Um, rumble function invention. Hello, Google search. Don't disappoint me. No, I don't want to hear about your Rolls Royces. No, no. Nope. But while you're trying to get that uh, to come up correctly, I'm going to mention that the most prominent use of haptic feedback that I found recently is in the Animal Crossing games when you're doing the fishing. You know, you'll hear you'll get a very slight rumble when the fish nibble, but when they go in for the big bite and you want to reel it in, you'll get the big rumble. You know, that's a very very useful tool, not just for people of different hearing abilities, but also people who just have to mute the TV or their switch so that they can do it without uh, disturbing a sleeping roommate. That's true. Okay, so it looks like here, and actually reading about the haptic feedback is actually really interesting. Um, just what goes into haptic feedback alone. Um, but it was popularized actually back in the 1990s. It doesn't really say who kind of first did it, but it was very popular in the 90s in video game technology and was really good because people who were hard of hearing it didn't really work well with purely deaf people, but people who were hard of hearing, people who had, you know, people who, you know, couldn't hear the, there is, um, there is actually part of the human development where as you get older, you cannot hear certain ranges of sound. One example of this is the cricket ringtone, where the younger you are, you can hear this absolutely annoying ear piecing sound but anyone who's over the age of 40 can't so you would put this on your phone and your phone would ring in class and if as long as your teacher was above the age of 40 your teacher couldn't hear your phone going off so they wouldn't know that you had your phone on in class your classmates would 
but your teacher wouldn't. I actually had students who tried to pull this on me when I taught, and I was like, turn it off. I don't care who has it, but don't ever turn that on my class again. That is annoying. Mm. So as you were dealing with gamers getting older so they can't hear certain ranges of sound, haptic feedback was great because they may not have been able to hear the full sound effect, but the controller, but the controller would rumble a little bit, letting you know you needed to do something. An enemy was coming up. An enemy hit you. Enemy was firing at you. You just knew that when your controller gave that slight tremor, that something was going down, and you had to pay attention. Naturally. Now that's actually all I had prepared for this. Uh, Christy, did you have anything else? Um, no, not really, because every every example you chose was very very interesting. For people out there who want to learn a little bit more, maybe about the haptic um, feedback system, um, ultraleap.com actually has a really nice write-up about it. Um, definitely going back to, you know, what the different terms for it is, what actually goes on to make it, make the haptic feedback work in a video game system. It's actually really big right now in VR technology, which helps virtual reality technology be, you know, be more immersive is the haptic feedback. Um, if you want some more information about video games and sound in video games, reading, I would, like I said, I recommend Andrew Sharpman, uh, S-C-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N. Um, he's a video game scholar, has a few books out. He's really, he's probably would be a good read because um, he does go into the development of sound in video games and the influence it's had. And James, I'm going to give it back over to you. All right. When we return from our break, we'll have our contact information. We'll have this day in gaming history. And we'll have a very special announcement for FC3. So stay tuned. Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc dot org and me at j-a-m-e-s at fc3roc.org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool, and begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking, that's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind. 
so if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Alright, welcome back. Now, this day in gaming history, in 1998, this was the day that Hasbro announced a definitive agreement to acquire Microprose Incorporated. Now, Microprose was almost in financial ruins at the time after mergers with GT fell through and the lawsuit against Avalon Hill and Activision ate up cash reserves. Mm. So when Microprose was picked up by Hasbro, that really beefed up Hasbro's own interactive gaming, uh, digital gaming, rather, ambitions. Now, at the, mm-hmm. at the time, they had already released the updated version of Frogger on PlayStation and Saturn and PC. But picking up Microprose, which at the time included Atari, opened up the floodgates for revivals of Centipede, Pong, Missile Command, Asteroids, and so many more games on then-current systems, like the ones I just listed. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised which ones worked and which ones didn't, because Pong, you would think... What can you do with Pong? And the answer would be a lot, because that was a brilliantly done update with a ton of variations that only could be possible with more modern technology. Mm-hmm. Centipede, on the other hand, Hasbro's update of that went over like a wet fart in church during a funeral. I'm glad you had that part. I'm like, I know some places where the priest would actually make a joke about that um mm. but no you are you are right that that one there was it, it was interesting when they did it it was interesting what what took off and what didn't like pong did an amazing job like they did a great job pong centipede i'd play the original uh just to put it to you this way there was a point where staples was giving away the PC version of that take on Centipede for free. Mm-hmm. I, I had to try like. to convince my dad that it was just because it was a bad game. He thought there was something uh, wrong with it that would damage the computer, and I had to tr- and I tried to tell him, nope, nope, that's not the case. It just sucks. He didn't believe yeah. me. No, my dad believed me when I told him that. Like when when we were looking at it, and he's just like, "Why are they giving away a game for free?" I'm like, "Cause it's a sucky game that no one wants to buy it." He's like, "Well, in that case, nobody wants it for free either." Basically. Now, let's talk Flower City Comic Con, which is, of course, September 25th and 26th at the Total Sports Experience in Gates. Tickets are mm-hmm. on sale now, both at fc3roc.org and at many of your regional Rochester comic book shops. Indeed. And it was just confirmed this morning to our dear friend, Pembroke W. Corgi, that he will have a table at FC3. Woo! So, so, if you are feel safe and comfortable coming to a convention and you are in the Western New York area, come down and see all the members of the Mighty Monkey podcast team. Yep. Come see us. We will be doing, we're doing a panel, right? Yep. We are doing a panel and, and Pemi and I will hopefully be doing a panel too. We're not sure what yet, but 
you know, we just, it, it so depends on what we can rouse together for technology. So, yep. So come and see us. Um, we will be there. James and I, well, James will be walking around. I apparently will be running the, um, the shop with our merchandise. So, you know, come and see me, buy some stuff, but you know, but yeah, come down, visit. It's a good time. We have amazing guests, amazing CODs players. You can find all that information on the FC3 YouTube, um, Facebook page. They talk about it a little bit on Nerd Word News, which you can also, if you happen to not be able to be 8 o'clock on a Monday, you can also catch up on all the news in the nerd world. Plus, also get to see our lovely James Irish in person for some of those, actually at our YouTube channel. So come down and check us out, guys. It's going to be a great time. And on that happy note, we're going to see you next time. For Chrissy Harding, I'm James Irish. Game on. Bye, everyone. But all the news in the world, all the news, all the news in the nude world, nude, nerd, that. All the news in the nerd world. Plus, also get to see our lovely James Irish in person for some of those. Actually, at our YouTube channel. I'm including that at the end of the podcast as a blooper. That is perfectly fine. I will laugh my butt off at myself. Because I'm that way.